All right, all right, all right. Hey, it is great to welcome you to Stonesdale Community Church this morning. Uh, what a beautiful morning to be alive here on the first Sunday of a brand new 2024. If you're online this morning, we welcome you. I understand that some of the, some of the well, all the food is excellent and it's made this morning. And so we just really appreciate our food services team and what they put together. If you're out there wondering if you should just come on to church this morning and be a part of us face-to-face, -face, you come on out. We've got a lot of food for everybody, and uh, the ladies have shown up, uh, ladies and gentlemen have shown up and done a good job. Uh, I was thinking this morning that on this first Sunday of the year, it's the only Sunday of the year where you can look at somebody, slap them on the shoulder, and say, I haven't seen you since last year, all right? You're probably going to do that. So uh, here we are, a brand new 2024, ready to get things started, and Bruce Malone is with us this morning, and it's so important uh, in our uh, just development and shaping of a biblical worldview to hear this from several different angles and perspectives, and uh, so we've had just an incredible uh, array of guest speakers over the last couple of years, and we had... Um, Julie Von Vett, uh, several months back, and you notice probably a lot in those devotionals, many of you got those devotionals, uh, there was a couple of authors on those devotionals. And this is Bruce Malone, which is a, a co-author of those devotionals that we've uh, presented to you and you've purchased for your family. So we're really, really, really glad that Bruce is with us this morning. He, he's come down yesterday from Michigan and uh, is excited about sharing with us three different sessions today. And I'm just going to pray for the group, and then I'm just going to have Bruce to come up and begin, okay? So let's pray together. So Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for the great food, and thank you for just the gathering together of your people. It's so wonderful and beautiful, uh, the body of Christ gathered. So I just pray today that um, you would just be with Brother Bruce and guide him and direct him as he shares with us. And uh, just thank you so much for the opportunity to be equipped and prepared to do life in, uh, in the world and culture in which we live, and we so need your insight and guidance. So thank you, Lord, and be with us here today throughout, the, throughout our morning together. In your name we pray, amen. Will you give a welcome to Bruce Malone? All right. Good morning. So uh, I was just thinking, I love going to, like, there's these movie dinner theaters where you can sit and eat supper while you watch a movie. I've never been to a breakfast church, so this, what a great, what a great atmosphere, and it just uh, feels fun and enjoyable, and I think you're going to enjoy the sessions, too. Um, go ahead and, yeah, bring up the first slide. What, what a great way for the first Sunday of a new year to start with the very first verse of the Bible. I, I love the way the Holy Spirit brings things together. Um, now, that verse is one of the most profound statements ever made for human beings throughout time, throughout cultures, to start to understand why they exist, why we're all here. And yet it is totally denied, completely ignored by the world around us. And yet God tells us, and I'll get to this verse in a moment, that every human being that has ever lived is held accountable for believing and knowing that that is true. That we exist because God has made us, and there is no other possible explanation that could be true. And yet, we live in a world where the vast majority of people, is this not on? 
Okay, just a second. Okay, this isn't working. Oh, that's because I can't advance slides. I should be able to advance slides. I'm pushing the forward button and nothing's happening. It says it's on. Says it's on. Okay. It's going to be real awkward if I can't advance my own slides. Do you want to take a look at this before we can move ahead further? I'm assuming the forward button right here is what I need to push, right? Okay. If that doesn't work, I have my own I can bring, and we can switch, switch clickers. Can you advance to the next one from where you're at so we can keep moving? The world around us is blind to what God says is so obvious. And the world around us separates things that are real and things that are reality, and they put it in a, in a bucket they call science. And then things that are just opinion, and they might be true and they might not be true, they're in the bucket called religion. And they separate the two. Now, I, um, the Lord has opened the door where I can bring a, a science assembly into public high schools in uh, most foreign nations because most foreign nations except for Europe and Australia and New Zealand and, and America there's not this antagonism between the belief in God and the belief in everything else so they're not antagonistic toward acknowledging that God exists they just have the wrong idea of who God is for the most part so um, I will bring a one-hour assembly that talks about biology and geology and astronomy. And you're going to see some of the things we show to these students, and then we will end it with the gospel message, and every one of the students will get one of these devotionals, which every day of the year shows them an evidence for how they can know God exists and how they can know the Bible is an accurate portrayal of reality and history. Um, and we connect everything else they're learning in the school to the Bible. It is such a powerful way to do evangelism. We've been in six countries over the last seven years, spoken to almost, after this year, 200,000 students. Every single high school in the nation of Fiji has heard the gospel message, gotten a book, and saw the Bible as a relevant book. It's, it's, it's just, it's stunning what God is doing in other countries that we're not allowed to do here in America. But we always start this assembly with this slide. Showing them the first verse of the Bible and asking, is this a statement of science or is this a statement of religion? And because it involves God, most of them will raise their hand because they're not as shy like American students. And, and they'll, they'll say, well, that's religion. To which I ask, how do you know unless you know what is science? You see, science is the study of four things. It's the study of time. And I ask them because... My slides transition where and when I'm out speaking, and it, doesn't, it, it isn't underlined yet. Do you see time in that verse? And they all do. The beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of time. That's where we start. It's the study of energy. And created, to create anything requires energy, and it tells us the source of that energy. God is the one who's doing the creating. It's the study of space. And in that verse, everything above us in the ancient Hebrew the, is known as the his space. And last, it's the study of matter, time, space, energy, and matter. Everything dealing with reality is talked about in the very first statement of God's word. And it tells us where it all came from. And then God gives us the freedom to believe it or not believe it. 
to obey him or not obey him because he made us in his image and he didn't make us robots. Now here's kind of the key verse of this whole weekend, Apologetics Sunday. It's Romans 1, verse 19 and 20. It says, that which every human being, whether it's an old man or a young child, whether someone lived 4,000 years ago or today, whether it's a PhD professor or somebody who, who works in the street, everybody is held accountable for belief in God. Why? That which would be known about God is obvious to all people, that's the them, for God has shown it to everybody. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by what's made. We even can understand God's nature and his power by looking at what he's made. We're going to come back to that in the sermon time. So every human being is without excuse because we can see what he's made. See, the very first command of God to the very first people he made, Adam and Eve, was to take dominion over creation. That ancient word means to study something, to understand it, and to control it. He gave us control it. You can't control something unless you understand it. God told us to do science. That's science, understanding how creation works. And by doing that, we will know he exists. And yet the world around us is blind to that. Now in this session, I'm going to talk about why. How can intelligent, sincere, people that are really are looking for what is the truth, how can they be so totally blind they miss the obvious? Because that's an important topic. See, I can go into a high school, and I can give them evidence after evidence after evidence for creation, and they're going to be given evidence after evidence after evidence for evolution and cosmic evolution and biological evolution and chemical evolution, how it all made itself. And God is never mentioned. And if that's true, there's no evidence for God from creation. So they can't both be true. This is a really important subject. And what will go through your children's mind and your grandchildren's mind and neighbors and friends around you is, yeah, I hear that evidence, but there's all this other evidence in the vast majority, the consensus of scientists, they all show how it doesn't need to have God to explain it. So how can, they, how can this statement be true? That's what we're going to look at. Now, about 30 years ago, Time Magazine had a cover article in the magazine that said the great mysteries of science, and it listed 30 of them, and the whole magazine went through these things science has never solved. Now, in the 30 years hence, those things, for the most part, are still totally unsolved, but the scientific community pretends they've been solved. They've circled their wagons, and they give the best solution they have to try to pretend it's true. But we're going to look at what science actually shows us, and what it shows us is that certain things could happen, and certain things are absolutely scientifically impossible. God literally made our universe in such a way that by observing it, we could know it didn't make itself. God made life in such a way that we would know it couldn't have made itself. See, it does operate by scientific principles, but by knowing those principles, we can know certain things could never happen. You see how it works? Now let's walk our ways through them. We're going to start first with something that's totally obvious, but most Christians don't use it to bring people to the truth. And that is, where did everything come from? See, there's only these two possibilities. 
if you look at the universe as a box, say this, this is the whole universe in my hand, all the energy, time, space, matter, all the stars, all the galaxies, I, Bruce Malone, am holding the universe in my hand. <laughs> now, either this box made itself or something outside the box made the box, okay? And the same is true with what's in the box. It, this is a jewelry box. It's filled with jewels. These might represent the intricate beauty and complexity of animals and all kinds of life. Either they made themselves, a bacteria turned into some creature that turned into a fish, that turned into a land animal, that turned into mammals and dinosaurs and birds and monkeys, and eventually they got tired of eating bananas and decided to pl plant some wheat and barley and brew beer and became people. I mean, that's the only other option if God didn't make very different, distinct kinds of animals. And by the way, that's what he told us he did ten times. In the very beginning of God's word, it said God made birds to reproduce after their own kind, fish to reproduce after their own kind, cattle to reproduce after their own kind, trees to reproduce after their own kind, people to reproduce after their own kind. Ten times to make it crystal clear, things don't just slowly change one into another. See, that's a story to try to explain things as if God hasn't done it. Now, it does involve faith, but both do. Both viewpoints involve faith because you can't go back in time. But what we can do is look at the laws of science and determine which one of those faiths is absolutely impossible and which one isn't absolutely impossible. And that's going to show us which is the truth. You see, there is a, let me just back up. The idea everything made itself, the whole universe, all this time, space, matter, and energy, has to start with nothing. The Big Bang assumes that nothing turned into everything. Because if people who leave God out start with something, they have to explain where did this something come from. So there, there's dozens of books that say nothing to everything. The Big Bang starts with nothing. It's not commonly talked about because people have this inherent understanding. Well, that doesn't make sense. Let me show you a little video clip of a professor of astronomy who's explaining this start of things without God. The Big Bang made everything. Play this video. I'm Jana, and I'm a professor of physics and astronomy. I work on where it all started. The simplest picture of the Big Bang starts with nothing. There's really nothing. There's no space, there's no time, there's no matter, there's no energy. It's nothing but the potential to exist. And out of that bursts the universe. Time starts, space is created, all of the matter and the energy in the universe is born at that moment. In the first minute fraction of a second, the universe inflates. And then about three minutes okay, later... Okay, go ahead and go on to the next slide. And about five billion this, years this, later... This goes on for about five minutes where she explains all about evolution. But I want to stop there. Time, space, energy, matter didn't exist. It all came from nothing. Now, is that science? She's an astrophysicist with a PhD. Or is that storytelling? Did she give you any evidence... I mean, this is pretty big. Did she give you any evidence of how nothing could turn into everything? Don't you think if she had evidence, she would have shown it? See, this isn't science. It's presented authoritatively 
very personable, very friendly, very knowledgeable professor, she has no evidence. It's assumed to be true. So how do we know? How do we know if that's true or not? The most tested, the most experimented, the most confirmed law of all science is that matter and energy can never be created or destroyed. It's also called the conservation of mass and energy. It goes across engineering, it goes across chemistry, it goes across biology, it goes across physics, it goes across astronomy. There has never been an exception. Millions of experiments, millions of observations, not one exception ever. We know the universe could never have made itself. And yet we pretend it did. See, that's what's going on around us. And you're training generation after generation that become the teachers and the professors that this is absolute reality. And they forget everything we know shows it can't be true. No particle accelerator anywhere in the universe have they ever brought energy together or matter and slammed it together and turned out with more of either one. You can turn matter into energy, energy into matter, but you always end up with a starting amount that you started with. Now, why are people so blind? I'm going to give you three examples. I'm going to give you an example of how obvious things are from the cosmological sciences, that's what I just did, the biological sciences, and then the geological sciences. Those are the three big areas of science. And then we're going to look at how people can be so blind. This is a statement by the father of modern psychology. He spent his life studying how humans come to conclusions. First one to teach psychology at Harvard University in the late 1800s. This is his bottom line. There is nothing too absurd to be believed if it's simply repeated over and over and over. That's the way the human brain works. Once you take a young child and you train them into think in a certain way, and they come to the conclusion that certain things are true, it's like they've built a framework in your minds. And every single one of us, this is how it works. We've all been trained certain things are true. By the way, when we become a Christian and accept Jesus Christ as his payment for our sins to come back into fellowship with God, God doesn't reprogram our brains. We drag into our Christianity all sorts of misconceptions, all sorts of false ideas, all sorts of false beliefs, and then God expects us to go to him and go to his word and start lining up our beliefs and our thoughts with the actual truth and reality. And he leaves it to us whether we're willing to do that or not. I'll guarantee you there's people in this room and every teacher I speak to that still hang on to all sorts of false beliefs because they've been trained to think that way. And in, once that framework's there, it's really, really tough to even consider something that you just know isn't true. You, how do you know? You've just been taught to think in a certain way. Now let me give you an example. This film I'm about to show you is coming up on 60 years old, and it's just as pertinent today as it was then. And I remember watching it when I was a young man in a church where the adults met for an annual meeting, and they'd show these old moody science films to us. But it is phenomenally profound in understanding what's going on all around us. And if we don't understand why the world's so blind, how are we going to reach them? But watch this little film. Whoop, actually, this is a different one. We're going to start with the backwards bicycle. We'll come back to the Booty Bible science film. Roll this film explaining how hard it is to change our thinking. 
Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? Everything changed, but though, I when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic procession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. All right, I'm just like, all right, so, uh, whatever you're at, yeah. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. My son is the closest person to me genetically and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you going to give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up. You got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he, in how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. I felt like the only person on the planet who had ever unlearned how to ride a bike, and I couldn't articulate it to anyone because everybody just knew that you can't forget how to ride a bike. So I learned three things from this experiment. I learned that welders are often smarter than engineers. I learned that knowledge does not equal understanding. And I learned that truth is truth, no matter what I think about it. So be very careful how you interpret things because you're looking at the world with a bias, whether you think you are or not. 
I'm Destin. You're getting smarter every day. Have a good one. Now, that was kind of funny and really interesting, but it was also incredibly profound. He, he said some really important things. Like, you're, we're all looking at the world with a bias. We've been trained certain things are true. We're going to filter what we, th we agree with in, and we're going to leave things we disagree with out. It's just the way we're built. It took him eight months every day. No, he knew exactly what to do. All he had to do was turn the handlebar the opposite way and lean the opposite way that he was used to. He couldn't make himself do it. Had the knowledge, but it wouldn't sink into reality. Little children could learn in a matter of weeks what it takes adults months. You start to understand why our public education system is such an incredible battleground. Because if you can control the philosophical concepts taught to those children, they are locked in for life. And it's really, really hard to reach them with the truth. That's why it's such a battleground. And what does God tell us? The Bible from cover to cover is filled with these kind of statements. God keeps coming back to it over and over and over again. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You don't even know how when you're thinking wrong. In all your ways acknowledge him and his word and he'll direct your path. And we all know God's word is the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. Because we don't even know when we're wrong, when we've been trained to think in a certain way. And this is as simple as physically movement. Think about a philosophical concept, how hard that is to change and turn around. It's really tough once it's locked in. Now, I want to talk about the biological sciences. And this is just the plethora, love that word, of information all around us of things that could never have made themselves. Now, I'm just going to look at one because I've only got... 50 minutes here, but I'm going to look at could life make itself? Um, and, and then you can go on to the animals. Could animals modify to add more complex parts? See, the simplest cell is a bacteria that reproduces exact copies of itself, a bacteria. Has the DNA code, takes that information, pulls in chemicals, and rebuilds another bacteria, re rebuilds the factory. It, the simplest form of life has thousands of parts. Not a single biologically useful chemical could ever make itself. Now, let me show you what I mean. The most common chemical that bacteria or banana trees or whales or human beings or ants are made of, their cells and the chemicals inside of their cells, is called a protein. Now, a protein is like a long chain of beads. The little beads are called amino acids, and there's 20 different kinds of amino acids, and each one has a different shape. I want you to think of those beads as Lego blocks. All of us are familiar with Lego blocks. Now, pretend you only had 20 different shapes, some kind of rectangular flat ones, and then some square ones that are bigger, and some, some that look like a little steering wheel, and some that look like a, a circular tire, but there's only 20 different shapes. You could follow a set of directions, Take those 20 shapes with multiple copies, and you could turn it into a little car. You take the same 20 shapes and turn it into a spaceship, or a building, or an airplane, or a thousand or a hundred thousand different structures with just those 20 shapes. Because they all have to be in exactly the right position. Well, that's what God has done. These beads, these amino acids, are his Lego blocks. 
and every single amino acid has to be in the right position, and then it causes this whole long chain to start bending and twisting and folding until the final protein is exactly the right three-dimensional shape. You see, that little bacteria is like a clock. Every gear has to be the right size, the right shape, and the right position, or nothing works. Now let me show you what one protein looks like. There's one protein. <laughs> now think about this. Every amino acid has to be in exactly the right spot. Or this whole thing doesn't form the right incredibly complex three-dimensional shape. It's the wrong part. And if the part's wrong, the Lego block won't line up to form the right structure. And it will die. Hemoglobin in our blood is one of these long structures. And if one of the colors is misplaced, it's a disease called sickle cell anemia. It doesn't carry oxygen right, and most people will die at a young age. Because of one bead in one molecule, and our bodies have 100,000 different molecules. Everyone's in the right spot. Let me show you a bacteria that was recently found that has a little, little like hair hanging off the back of it called a flagellum, and it spins to form a little propeller. Now this was considered one of the most simplest forms of life, a bacteria. Look what we find inside of this. Run that MO1 bacteria slide. So here, they found this guy in the lowest rock layers of the Earth. So it's one of the earliest, simplest forms of life. At the back of the bacteria, there are seven perfectly formed purple gears. Now, those gears form because all of the molecules, all the amino acids line up to form a perfect shape of a gear. Or surrounding it are 21 green gears, perfectly sized, perfectly shaped. The big purple ones are attached to a long little filament, and the gears are there so all of them turn in the same direction at the same speed. And it causes a little propeller, which allows the bacteria to kind of float around and swim around and look for food. It can start and stop, reverse and run and forward. It'll run 20,000 rotations per minute and stop at a quarter turn. Now, the next slide. What turns those gears? Oh, is that slide not up? There it is. There's a little electric motor. Behind each of the purple gears is a literal electric motor. That electric motor is made of 40 parts. Each of those parts is one of these proteins. Now, every part has to have every amino acid in the right spot to make that part exactly the right shape. And all 40 have to be there. They have to be the right size, they have to be in the right position, they've got to all be there at once. One of them creates a positive charge, the other creates a negative charge. It's literally exactly like our electric motors. It's what would run a fan. Now, you take a fan motor and you pull out one part, is it going to work? No, it's going to be a piece of junk. It could never, ever randomly make the proteins, much less all the parts, much less the right size, much less all in the right position. And if a bacteria is making these parts and they're of no use, that bacteria is going to go extinct because it's using its energy to make useless junk.
there is not a human being or a scientist in the world that could look at that and say, oh, that just made itself one small random change at a time. It's statistically, scientifically, and logically absurd. You're just starting to understand how by looking at what God has made, every human being can absolutely know God's awesome creativity, power, and intelligence. It is obvious. And yet, 95% of all biologists are trained, evolution's a fact, evolution's a fact, evolution's a fact, through their whole education, they won't even be allowed to teach in a university if they don't acknowledge that bacteria have changed into human beings by random slow processes over billions of years. If they deny that, they will be removed from the education system. That's the world we live in. But it's obvious, and God has said it's obvious, and God will hold us accountable to knowing it's obvious and trusting his word. Now, next little illustration of how human beings can be so blind. Uh, watch this next film. If seeing were done only in the eye, everything would be upside down to us. Just as in a camera, the lens of the eye forms the image upside down. The image is then inverted by the brain so that it appears right side up. Now, what would happen if a lens system were used to form the image right side up? Well, the brain would immediately invert the image so that it would be upside down. But would this condition be permanent? To answer this question, we asked Mr. Gratz, our optical expert, to design for us a pair of inverting spectacles. While the spectacles were being constructed in our shop, we faced the problem of who was going to wear the things continuously for several weeks. You'll want to meet our unlucky winner. That's right, me. Even from the first, it was possible to walk in this topsy-turvy fashion, but it didn't take long to develop a rollicking case of seasickness. We decided that for your sake as well as ours, we'd better conduct our first test sitting down. However, just sitting down wasn't so easy. Even the simplest tasks were at first impossible. No amount of concentration or effort could overcome the compulsion to reach in the wrong direction. The inverting spectacles had to be worn every waking moment during the entire period of the experiment. Anytime the glasses were removed, the eyes were closed or fully covered. Walking to work upside down was an exhausting experience, but it provided a valuable period of relearning and reorientation. It also caused quite a stir in the neighborhood. Gradually, it became easier to get around in this upside down world. By a slow and painful process, the image in the brain had been erected. Now, don't start the next slide yet. Um, why? Oh, it went back to the beginning, that's why. Um, here's what's going on. You know, he puts on the glasses and now everything's upside down, but he knows it's really right side up. So his brain is getting information minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day, day week after week, Things are opposite of what I know to be true. But 
I see them that way. It's, the, it's 100% backwards, but I know they're the other way. And he does it after a week. Things are start to like, oh, now they're at 45 degrees. And after 10 days, oh, they're now at 70 degrees. He wakes up one morning after his brain just keeps getting information that's the opposite of what he knows to be true. And he takes off the mask and puts on the glasses and opens his eyes. And now everything is right side up when he's looking through the glasses. His brain has been retrained to believe what is the opposite of the truth is now the truth. Because that information just keeps coming in and coming in and coming in. Do you understand the implications? God built us with the ability to know the truth and yet deny it if we choose to. And what will happen if we hear a lie over and over and over and over and over again, it becomes reality. And then we start to view everything in that way. That's what just happened with something as, as physical as sight. Think how much easier it is to deceive people with just philosophical ideas that they can't see. See what's going on all around us? The world has become hardened and blinded in their hearts and their minds to biblical truth because the opposite is told to them over and over again. So what's the solution? Put the truth in front of them over and over and over again. That's our job. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't put a basket over the light. Don't hide it. Put it on a hill. Put it in front of people. And truth comes up over and over and over and over again. It's so central to God's character and his word. And we've got to just not ignore it when lies, especially lies that affect the very character of God in the essence of the trustworthiness of the Bible are put in front of people all the time. That's why this subject is so important. Cast down imaginations, things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And by the way, the two problems with evolution, cosmic evolution, biological evolution, the idea that life makes itself popping up all over the universe, it is scientifically impossible. It could never be true and it directly undermines, contradicts, and destroys people's trust in God's word. Think about handing somebody a nonfiction book and saying, oh, this is a great book, you really need to read this because it's going to help you a lot in understanding everything around you. But you don't have to believe the first 10 chapters. The first 10 chapters aren't true. But you've got to believe the rest of it. How credible is that? That's the way the majority of churches treat God's word. Doesn't really mean what it says in the first 10 chapters but you got to believe the rest of it. It's not effective. Ultimately, we lose the culture, and that's what's going on all around us. Things that are critical, God makes crystal clear. It's not a matter of denominational differences over the correct interpretation. They are crystal clear, and they're repeated over and over again in both the New and the Old Testament, and that's what we have with creation, crystal clear. Animals reproduced after their own kind. A supernatural creation of time, space, matter, energy, stars, and life. And it's reality. Okay, last subject, the geological sciences. How much time do I have left? Oh, good, good. I won't have to rush through this. The flood is the key event in all all earth history if you're really going to interpret the past correctly nobody has a time machine nobody can go back in the past 
thousands and thousands, let alone millions and billions of years, okay? It's all interpretations going to be based on assumptions. The world today assumes, starting in the late 17, early 1800s, that there has never been a world-covering flood on this planet. And all of, all of geological sciences are based on this idea of uniformitarianism. Little changes we see happening today, small changes over lots and lots of time, are what explain the rock layers and the river valleys and the fossils and the dinosaurs. They all have to fit into the small little changes we see happening today over huge periods of time. That's an assumption. But it was accepted over the early 18 into the middle 1800s by the, by the scientific community because there was lots of evidence that seemed to indicate this helped explain things. But that means there could never have been a worldwide flood. They're mutually exclusive concepts for understanding the past. Again, God is crystal clear that this flood event was real. It, there's more time spent talking about the flood in Genesis than the creation of the entire universe and all of life. Chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Genesis. God said, I will never send another flood upon the earth, and yet there's been tens of thousands of floods. So either God's a liar or this flood was absolutely unique. 38 times in three chapters, the Bible uses the term all or every. All mankind was destroyed. Every hill under heaven on earth was covered by water. The boat that Noah was told to build is big enough to hold every single species of mammal, bird, and amphibian ever alive or extinct on this planet in about 30% of its space. Why build a boat that big for a little flood? See, the whole account, it's not a story of Noah's flood, literally only makes sense if it was a real event. And if it doesn't mean what it says, where do you start believing what the Bible means what it says? And it's a foundation for understanding the, the geological world. See, this flood would have wiped out every animal. And they would have been buried in massive amounts of sediments. And it would have created trillions of fossils. Fossils aren't even forming today. See... This is an extinct animal called a trilobite. It's solid rock, and it used to live under the ocean. And we find these by the millions. They're really, really common. And there's hundreds of different variations, just like there's hundreds of breeds of dogs, but they're all the same basic body structure. It's the information built into a kind of creature to have lots of variety, but they're still the same kind of creature. Now, nobody can dig up this fossil and, and listen to it like a seashell, and it's going to tell the person when and how it died. It's got to be interpreted. But when a tree dies in a forest, it doesn't turn into a petrified tree. It turns back into soil. When a fish dies in a lake and ocean, it doesn't drop to the bottom and its flesh decays away and the bones just lay there. And over millions of years or even thousands of years, they slowly get covered with sediment and then they get turned into a rock layer. They just get scattered and eaten and recycled. You can't bury a dog and come back 100 years later and the bones aren't even still there under the ground. They're all destroyed. See, fossils aren't forming today. Something really, really different happened in the past. The only way to make a fossil is to bury something really fast and really deep before it has a chance to decay and bacteria and worms and, and fungus can eat it apart. And then you've got to have lots of water filled with minerals percolating past it. And that's what you had during Noah's flood. Lots of loose sediment filled with dead creatures. 
with lots of mineral-laden water in, in the sediment. And it doesn't take millions of years to form a fossil. You can form fossils in a matter of months in a laboratory with the right condition. They start to form. Now, the rock layers could, would have been laid down as tsunami waves See, the continents have moved. I've got whole lectures on geology. I hope we'll be back in a year or two and I'll, and I'll do some of the other lectures and we'll talk about this. And I'm going to tell you about resources to help you understand and explain reality to the world around you. But in essentially, tsunamis, hundreds of feet deep, maybe thousands of feet deep, filled with sediment would have been sweeping across entire continents. And as they slow down, all this pulverized rock, sand, sediment, it's going to get sorted into layers and it's going to drop out and bury things inside of it. And you're going to get animals that live before, during, before the flood buried in regional areas. And that's misinterpreted as eras of time. But the flood's what did all this. The plants would have been packed and buried in huge vegetation areas that would have turned into coal seams. And there would have been widespread erosion in the book of Psalms, it says, it's describing the flood in one of the Psalms, and it says, the valley sunk down, the mountains rose down, and the waters returned from whence they came. And it was a one-year event with repercussions for decades and even centuries afterwards. It, it totally changed this entire earth, and it happened about 4,500 to 5,000 years ago. Now, the final lecture at one, at, at, after the sermon time, I'm going to be talking about the civilizations that arose after the flood and the evidence from those civilizations that this flood was a real event. But we're going to look at just one example of how can we know that's true? How can we know, was it little changes over enormous periods of time, or was it enormous changes over little periods of time that created the fossils, the rocks, the dinosaurs, the rock layers of the world? Well, in... 2005, a paleontologist, they study fossils, had, was part of a team that dug up a Tyrannosaurus rex in Wyoming. And it was so heavy as they were lifting it out. And I don't know if, if Julie probably went over this, so I'll go pretty quick. Um, they found unfossilized tissue, okay? Now, since this, we've started looking. We found unfossilized tissue in about 200 different fossils, some of them supposedly going back 500 million years. There's still proteins that haven't come apart. They're unfossilized inside of these fossils. So it gets absurd to believe anything could last that long because that chain I just showed you, those biological proteins, they're very fragile. As soon as they're exposed to oxygen, they start flying apart. And they have a half-life of, of you know, dozens of years. So within 1,000 to 10,000 years, there wouldn't be a single bead left together. They've all flown apart. So they can't be millions of years old. They found blood cells, blood vessels, soft, stretchy tissue, all sorts of stuff. Now, Mary Schweitzer went on to try to figure out how this happened. She came up with an experiment that if you could get iron to come out of blood and kind of attach to the end of the proteins, because they're reactive, that's why they fly apart, because they react with oxygen, it kind of caps the ends and they don't fly apart as fast. Well, she cheated, because the iron doesn't come out of blood. She had to put blood in a centrifuge and spin away all the clotting mechanisms so that blood wouldn't clot. Then she had to add chemicals that made the iron chemically reactive. She had to split open all the blood cells, and then she had to mix it with, with chicken bones. And she had, on, on a, on a uh, laboratory bench, she had a container that had 
just normal bones with, with blood in with them. And then she had a container that had all this spun apart centrifuge, anticoagulant, uh, reacted blood that allowed the iron to be useful. And sure enough, the container that had the iron lasted a little bit longer. Instead of being gone in a projected, say, 10,000 years, it might have lasted 100,000 years. But it wasn't millions, and she cheated. She used things that would never have occurred in a natural setting. That's the same thing they do with this. They show these kids this experiment from 1952 called Miller's Experiment, where they took methane gas and ammonia and hydrogen and water. They circulated these gases. They added a spark, poof, and they, they chemically reacted to form a few of those little beads, a few of those amino acids. And the students in the textbook are told, see, we've shown how life could form on early Earth. Just gases could come together to form amino acids. But they never got all 20 amino acids. And they got the wrong kind of amino acids. And they got a bunch of chemicals that would keep them from linking up. And they didn't get the right hand and left hand forms. And they left oxygen out. And there's always been oxidized rocks in the rock layers. So there's always been oxygen in the atmosphere. So they ignored all the problems and they tell the kids, oh, this shows how life could form. So if you ever hear or you're watching movies or your kids are in textbooks, they're going to be told, we know how that soft tissue got there. Iron from the blood preserved it. It's a lie. It's the best they've been able to come up with, but it doesn't scientifically work. And the problems are ignored. See, here's the problem. You take someone who, and I think Mary Schweitzer, she says she's a Christian and I believe her. But she's been trained, evolution's a fact, evolution's a fact, evolution's a fact. She's taught, all taught, our life things are millions and billions of years old. So it's a fact in her mind. And now she's got a problem. How could this tissue survive? The only solution she's been able to come with is, well, iron will help preserve it. So she just has faith that some future discovery will solve the problems. And she's gotten just a little step of the way there. So that little step is presented as it's a fact that has solved the problem to the students. That's deception. That's not education. That's indoctrination. That goes on all around us, to both us and the people around us. So we've got to have compassion when they're adamant and insistent and arrogant that they know the truth because they don't even know they're deceived. We've got to love them into the truth and show them the evidence they're not even get to s- getting to see. And that's the importance of these kind of sessions. Now, did Julie show that little clip with the interview where the, there's US, NBC is interviewing Mary Schweitzer about what she found? Okay, let me show you. This is what she says about what she found inside of those dinosaurs. The scientific world is still reeling from the discovery of actual Tyrannosaurus rex cells and soft tissue unearthed last week at a Montana excavation site. Thank you for having me. So, is that amazing to find this kind of soft tissue in a fossil this old? And what can the soft tissue really tell us? Um, well, it is, it is it's very amazing. It's uh, utterly shocking, actually, because it flies in the face of everything that we understand about how tissues well, and cells degrade. Well, it's 70 million years old. You don't expect to find soft tissue, do you? Not at all. No, it's, it was utterly shocking. So you have to sort of rewrite the book as far as fossilization goes, I, I assume. Well, that's, that's the exciting part for me. I've always been very intrigued by how, uh, how things change in going from a living being to part of the rock record. And 
Um, like I said, a lot of our science doesn't allow for this. All of the chemistry and all of the molecular okay, breakdown experiments right that we've done. You know, well, Mary, allow Mary for when I was reading about. Okay, all of our science doesn't allow for this. All of our chemistry, all of our molecular breakdown experiments don't allow for that tissue to be there. But it's there. And she's been trained the millions and billions of years are an absolute fact of science. They're not. They're an assumption. So she can't come to the right answer because she's locked into a thinking that won't allow her to reject what isn't the truth. You see, the truth is those dinosaurs were buried during Noah's flood about 5,000 years ago. And a lot of the tissues degraded, but there's still stuff there that couldn't be there if it was that old. And we know it based on what we know about science. Well, if those bones aren't millions of years old, the rock layers aren't millions of years old. And we're right back to the worldwide flood and God's word being absolutely accurate. And the evidence is there. And this is just one of dozens of examples that things couldn't be as old as we're being told. But you've got to have the time if you're going to leave God out. So that's like this core of the evolutionary atheism um, agnostic belief system is the time frame. But the truth is very apparent if you're willing to look for it. Now, last example of how people can be so blind, and then we're going to wrap up. So, first of all, Isaiah uh, says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. And it's part of, we've been trained to leave the truth out. But part of it is the pressure to conform. And that's the one I'm going to end with. And we always end our assemblies in these science assemblies overseas with this to help students understand how they're being led in their textbooks. Because these foreign nation textbooks are, are produced by the United Nations and England and America. So they're just filled with evolution, which contradicts what they know to be the truth. But in these nations, we're talking like Fiji and the Philippines and Vanuatu, and I've been to Peru and we've been to Jamaica. They're not as far down the road as we are in Europe and America to rejecting the Bible as true, as a culture. They're like America in the 50s. They're still open to this stuff. So by getting there now, we can maybe prevent the deterioration of the faith we've seen in the world around us here in America. So we're in this last little film, and then we're, uh, we're done with this session. Third example of how we can be so blind. And here she is, right on time for her 12 o'clock appointment. Hi, how are you doing? This woman thinks she's here for a free eye exam. Have you been here before? No, it's my first time. What she doesn't know is that everyone else in this room is working for us. They'll be with you in just a couple minutes. Today we're running an experiment on social conformity, and the test starts now. Did you hear that? These people sure did. It doesn't take long for our test subject to notice a pattern. Beep means stand up. But why? And if you were in her shoes, what would you do the next time the tone sounds? To answer that question, we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this. Or would you?
after just three beeps and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. Now, watch what happens when we introduce another outsider who doesn't know the rules. Have a seat and they'll be out in just a couple minutes. Great, thanks. thanks so much. Think she'll teach the new guy what to do? <laughs> we kept the cameras rolling as more unsuspecting patients arrived. The uncomfortable she gets is she doesn't conform, so she conforms. And slowly but surely, what began as a random rule for this woman has now become the social norm for everyone in this waiting room. Why even this rebel, who wasn't standing for any of this nonsense, eventually joined the ranks. And the only thing more shocking than seeing how easily conformity affects the way you act is that similar forces are subconsciously shaping the way you think. Similar forces shape the way we think. I, I, I mean, if you can get some people to do something as simple as just standing up for a meaningless beep, and people will, think how much easier it is to get people to believe some concept as if it's scientific fact when they hear about it over and over again and they see the partial half evidence that seems to support it as if it's all the evidence and the truth is left out. It becomes locked into their thinking and they just conform. Scientific consensus has kept the truth from being found all through history. Every scientific discovery is someone who's thought outside of the consensus. That's what it is. And it, scientists are human just like everybody else. And if they're just getting partial information and it sounds definitive, they don't rethink it. It's just accepted and then they go on. That's what's happening all around us. And it's undermining the truth. See, God warns us, do not be conformed to this world. And by the way, fallen mankind's natural bent is to hide from God. Or to make God in our image. One or the other. Every religion of the world, that's what they're doing. Adam's first response to his sinfulness in the face of a totally holy God 
was to try to hide from God and then to cover his sins with his own actions, a fig leaf. And that's all that's happened ever since. And evolution is just the latest way of hiding from God, pretending he's so far back in time he's irrelevant or he doesn't exist at all. And one viewpoint slowly, gradually moves toward the other. Because if he's that far back and he's never been involved in creation, he's not that relevant. And it's really tough to reach people. So this is an incredible tool in your toolbox of evangelizing and reaching people. And it's a starting foundation point of the scales falling off their eyes. And that's what these resources are all about. At the end of sermon time, I'm going to talk about them. I will mention, I spent eight years from about 2016 up until today filming these, this series I call The Rocks Cry Out. Those little videos you saw, every one of the sessions ends with this example of how the people around us can be so blind. They're in these videos. They're about 45 minutes long. They're filmed in HD quality, Blu-ray quality. There's 19 45-minute sessions. And then I've done 60 of these little two- and three-minute teachings. So there's over 22 hours of high-quality video on this flash drive. Plug it into any TV, and, and you, it comes up with a menu, and you can watch them. And you can learn so much, and you can share it with kids and friends and family. They cost $10,000 each to film it. So it's a $200,000 project. Because I hired someone out of college. We went and filmed in the Grand Canyon and at Mount St. Helens and in science museums and the Huntsville State Museum and, and Mount Rushmore and so on. And it would take two months to film, edit, add drone footage, add nature footage, music, editing, to make one of these films. They're really, really well done. So the flash drive's 40 bucks for an incredible library of knowledge. Kind of like this lecture, but a lot more visual. Put them to use. That's a resource to impact the world around you. And I'll talk about the other things in the books later. You've seen the devotionals, many of you. But thank you. I went a little bit over, um, but I appreciate how attentive everybody was. Yeah. Hey, let's give him a hand. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and I really, being the pastor and everything, I have an applicational question for all of us. Bruce, you did an excellent job. My question is, are you blind to the obvious? Am I blind to the obvious? And if so, what is the corrective? What restores sight? And that's the beauty. And, and uh, we know Christ has enabled us to come to, to the Lord and to be in a right relationship with him. And that starts a, a discipleship journey of where our sight can be restored to the reality of things. And so uh, really this morning, listen closely here because it's a paradigm shift, okay? We typically think in terms of, if we can lead someone to Christ, then we disciple them and help their sight be restored in and through him and the truth that he presents, right? Here's the paradigm shift. When we do Biblical Worldview Weekends and we begin to think this way, you're doing discipleship pre-conversion. Do you see that? Discipleship is happening even before people come to Jesus. Why? Because you're talking about it. You're giving insights. You're, you're thinking the, the ideas, you're presenting, as Bruce has done such an excellent job this morning, you're having these discussions and you're discipling people and don't even know that they're, they don't even know they're being discipled and you don't even know that you're discipling them, but you are because you're bringing a biblical worldview, such a fresh, eye-opening visualization of truth and how it works in our life and how it all makes sense. 
quote of the night last night under the canopy. Bruce had just set things up on the table. We just, our tech team, thank you tech team, doing a great job. And we were just having just a few uh, remarks there uh, she was sharing with me. But he, he comes back to this statement. He just made it this morning again. And that is that the biblical worldview is the best explanation of all of reality. If you want a microscope down into the cell, you'll see it. If you want a telescope out to the astronomical distances of the Milky Way, you'll see it. It's design and formation, and it works, and it it's bespeaks a true story, a true reality. Okay? So we are discipling before conversion, not just conversion and then discipling. No, no. We are thinking the thoughts. We are having the conversations. We are preparing, whether at school, our friends, our family, preparing them to question the inability to see maybe what they, what's there to be seen just because our categories aren't allowing us to see it. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. So excited about our day together. And Bruce has just done an excellent job. And we thank you, Lord, for the abilities you've given to him and just help him uh, ongoing here this morning. But I come back to that question, how am I blind to the obvious? Maybe it, it has to do with my how I view my values and maybe the, the life I lead, the, the, the lifestyle I have adopted, maybe my viewpoints on certain things in life. Maybe I have been blind to the obvious uh, revelation of your truth in those areas. Maybe it's been things like this. Maybe there's scientific questions that's kept me from going all in with Jesus. And, and those can be addressed, and they have been addressed, even here this morning. Lord, how are we blind to the obvious? Wake us up. Open our, touch our sight. Give us those eyes to see that you are the Savior of the world, that, that you have created us, that things have gone wrong, that you have provided Jesus, that, that we can be restored, that this brokenness can be healed. Help us to see it. Change our assumptions this morning so that we can see. And we don't want to just be conformist in the world. And I know that sin, that beep of sin has gone off in our lives so many times. And that when that sin says to jump, we just automatically get up and jump. We stand up because it's what we've done our whole life. Well, this morning, I see gospel in what Bruce has shared. The gospel is that there's a new voice, there's a new beep, there's a new impulse, there's a new desire, there's a new longing to respond, not just as a conformed cultural values, but to the truth of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Are we blind to the obvious? We don't want to be. Touch our sight that we might see in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to take a break. Um, just uh, feel free to, if you need uh, directions as far as bathrooms, they're out and to the left. There's a book table out here. And then uh, there's maybe even some additional uh, hits you want to make on the breakfast menu, okay? As long as it's there, you feel free to hit that. And come on, bring it back in. And you can have, um, have a, a brunch while we have the next service, okay? Blessings. <laughs>